Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to another episode of the Beat Orm Podcast. I am your co-host, Don the Piz Elivere, joined as always by Justin Jericho Turner. And we are two former college roommates getting together a couple decades later to talk about life, business, media, culture, entertainment, and everything in between. Let's go. Jericho. Yes, sir. Before, before we get started like we normally do, ah. we have a very, 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 very special guest this mm-hmm. week. I'm excited about this episode. Um, I don't know if he knows this, but today's guest, his name is Mark Bamuthi Joseph. He was my familial idol growing up. <laughs> you he won't was laugh. The, he was the first example in my real life of a young black man of my age mm. growing up in America who was artsy, athletic, and intellectual. And I tried my hardest to mimic everything <laughs> this dude did when we were kids. I doubt that he has any clue about that. And I doubt he doesn't know that I, that I was going to say any of this because I, I didn't want to basically let him know what was going to go on here. He was kind mm-hmm. enough to bless us with his presence and be willing to jump on the pot. Mm-hmm. Um, He's one of the most accomplished contemporary performance artists and cultivators of culture of our generation. He currently serves as the vice president and artistic director of social impact at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C. And before we get into speaking with him, here's a recent poem of his called Some Questions of Value for our audience to get familiarized with his intellect and artistry. What if dignity were currency? And our business model depended on spinning the capital of dignity into the capital of finance. What if when we said equity, we didn't mean everybody's in the house. We meant equity, like what you got if you own your house, invested in inclusion to produce equity for diverse communities, which means more than putting on shows or producing symbols. The matter of black life sure is controversial, but surely black dignity couldn't possibly be cause for alarm. What if all this dis-ease was a prompt for an entrepreneurial reframe, like the explosion of crypto as currency? What if we treated the art of cultivating dignity as an intentional economy? If the product were empathy and you had to make it, and you had to make it mass accessible, what raw materials would you use? What if dignity were currency and the raw material to make it was culture? What if you worked at a cultural mint and printed white walls and bright lights and the aesthetic sublime 80% of the time, but 20% of every dime was spent minting cultural equity for the historically left behind? Equity, not like proportional balance, equity like profit on your P&L balance, who in this country is manufacturing empathy? Just a little bit. And in the end, wouldn't we all benefit? What if dignity were medicine, were a vaccine, and the public and private sector teamed up to invest in our collective healing and our country's cultural mints were the place where anybody could get pricked with the sharp edge of culture, a chemical boost included us all because we've learned that if I'm healthy and you're sick, I'm at risk. 
Why risk emerging from this moment in a culturally unhealthy way? Why put a cultural inflection point to waste? What if the product were collective healing and in order to do it, we had to produce more cooperative economics, except no one would buy it if it wasn't fly. So we had to invest in artists, invested in their individual projects, but use artists intellect to mass produce dignity and put as much equity in it as you would a non fungible token of a digital object. We make value. Diversity is not a stock to be left alone to accrue. Diversity is a paper thin bill you gotta keep stacking or else you're not serious. What if you were making a city? How many great artists does it take to make a great city? How many artists does it take to make America great? If you had Equity stakes in empathy, who would you invest in first? In the ecosystem of cultural production, what if we all win? If we all win, what if we didn't all have to win? We just all remembered when the world was sick and collective healing was something we were all invested in. What if nobody got left behind? What if we healed forward, cardinal directions, truth, dimension, humanity, access, latitudes of public imagination, longitudinal public policy, X, Y, Z, access, access the ancestors, all their names, map the future, collective dignity, the moral compass, invest in the road forward, culture as brick, walk the walk. Now, if hearing that wasn't impressive enough, in addition to his role at the Kennedy Center, here's a short list of some of Mark Bamuthi Joseph's career highlights and accolades. He's a 2017 TED Global Fellow. He's the inaugural recipient of the Guggenheim Social Practice Initiative. He's an honoree of the United States Artist Rockefeller Fellowship. His opera libretto, We Shall Not Be Moved, was named one of 2017's best classical music performances by the New York Times. His evening-length work, The Just and the Blind, created in collaboration with composer Daniel Bernard Romain, was commissioned by Carnegie Hall and premiered to a sold-out house at Carnegie in March of 2019. He's in high demand for his creative approach to organizational design, brand development, and community mediation. He's been enlisted as a strategic partner or consultant for companies ranging from Coca-Cola to Carnegie Hall. His TED Talk on linking sport to freedom design among immigrant youth, which I encourage everybody to go watch, has Mm -hmm. been viewed nearly one million times and is a testament to his capacity to distill complex systems into accessible and poetic presentations. His other TED Talk, an excerpt from The Just and the Blind, has been viewed nearly two million times. His community development philosophy called The Creative Ecosystem has been implemented in dozens of cities across the United States and is the subject of several critical writings, including one of the seminal essays in Cultural Transformations, Youth and Pedagogies of Possibility, which was published by Harvard Education Press. And he's the founding program director of the exemplary nonprofit Youth Speaks and a co-founder of Life is Living, which is a national series of one-day festivals which activate under-resourced parks and affirm peaceful urban life. His essays have been published in Harvard Education Press. He's lectured at more than 200 colleges and has has carried adjunct professorships at Stanford University and many other historic institutions. But I list all of that to say, most importantly, he is the last person to ever take a bath with me who wasn't romantically involved with me in some way. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Beat Orm podcast. Mark Bamuthi Joseph. 
<laughs> That's fabulous. That's fabulous, man. Uh, th- thank God you didn't hear me just, mm, uh, <laughs> and, and just like a crazy burst of laughter uh, at, the, at the end. So good. So funny. I have to say, um, usually if someone reads my bio, it feels like a eulogy. But yeah. but you read those things and now I feel like I want to fight somebody. <laughs> I want fight club. I want to kick somebody. I was like so amped. See, that's so that voice amped. of Don. Yeah, that's man, that voice, voice of Don F. Of you know what I'm saying? That's what happens. Yes. You could be you could you could be my new my new agent with that kind of energy, bro. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. Mm. So welcome to the first, show, Mark. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, fam. Thank you, Jericho. Thank you for having me, fellas. So, first off, as we as we as we do here. Mm-hmm. What you sipping on? Because you know we come to drink sexy for an hour as we chat it up. What are you sipping on, Mark? So I am sipping on Madam, having it neat. Madam is a blend of whiskeys together, forming a more perfect union. This ah. is uh, a whiskey that is distilled here in D.C. Uh, women-owned uh, distillery. Outspoken, disruptive, and American. The um, the distillery is called Republic Restoratives uh, Distillery. It has the current vice president Kamala Harris on the label, so it's a um, uh, it's an, an exclusive, and probably won't be reproduced in four years. God help us. <laughs> so uh, that's where I'm going. I, you know, I was saying earlier, I didn't have time to like take oranges and zest them. <laughs> I'm a dark beer drinker. You feel me? And, you know, got the regular ass Guinness in the fridge, but, you know, abstain from that. Just taking it. Str- I'm taking the the Madam Whiskey straight to the dome. Yes. Mm. I like it. Along with the salad, because... <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it to the end of the pod. Yeah. So, right, right, right. So the salad yeah. and also the whiskey. Yeah. The whiskey sexy, the, the salad, God help me. <laughs> well, salads are what help you stay sexy ah, true <laughs> in, in the long run for all that whiskey. That's yeah. it. It's true. It's That's true. It. Right? It's true. As, as right. you know, Pizzle, the, the beer is dark. Mm-hmm. If if you throw back on our pod, you know, I like my beer to be darker skin than me. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wise. I, I, I got a, a it's a crumb cake chocolate uh stout. Did you say crumb cake chocolate? Mm-hmm. Like intimates? Oh, you're all oh, the intimate. You just took me back to like oh, 12 goodness. years old. Come on now. <laughs> oh my goodness. We could do a whole segment on the end. We could. We could. <laughs> we could. Oh, the simple yeah, crumb Enzyme. cake. That was the that was that was it for me with Endemy. Yeah. So Delicious. Cake. I Delicious. used to just like take a little bite at a time to try to make it last longer. (laughs) (laughs) Who was I kidding? But by, but two days later with everybody in the house doing that late at night, nobody knew. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And the, and the cake looks like Freddy Krueger got to it. Like (laughs) (laughs) shaping lumps. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, all right. I came here with, uh, well, you know, what's funny. So I told, 
Bamuti that I was gonna that's I, I I didn't text you anything. I didn't talk to you anything about like I wanted this pod to be fresh off mm-hmm. the dome for all of us, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. me and JT usually do. But mm-hmm. I texted you, I, I emailed you one thing. I said, We usually make a drink. Uh-huh. So make a drink. You sent me back, I thought you were for real. You said Paloma. So I said, Oh well shit, goddamn. I gotta yeah. like I gotta go correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so I went and made this frothy <laughs> for the first time in my life I made a gin fizz. Ooh, I just ru- oh, I just ruined my whole hallway because I made the rookie <laughs> mistake of of not closing the top of my shaker. And there's a drink that you gotta shake vigorously for like 30 seconds. <laughs> so <laughs> I was gonna go with the Paloma until I, you know, listened to a few episodes of the pod and I was like, man, the Paloma's too simple. <laughs> I, gotta, I actually have to go to Haiti to get a grapefruit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. How'd you rock uh, your gin fizz, man? Oh, it's a um so this is a uh well I gin fizz you're supposed to make it with it's just it's just simple syrup, lemon, um, gin, and egg white. And you're supposed mm-hmm. to shake it for 15 seconds in a shaker. You do something called a dry shake and then a wet shake, I guess it is, where you shake it separately from the ice. I never knew that, never did that before. So you do that, shake it without the ice, shake it with the ice, strain it, and then you pour um club soda over the top and that's what causes the magic of the fizziness with the egg whites this whole time i always thought that bartenders like whipped up the egg whites on Mm -hmm. those drinks but it's that's not what it is it's like some some you know science we've talked just jt and i've talked about science on the show before people hate science but (laughs) science helps you have cool drinks so i got this fizzy ass Mm drink with egg white i hope i don't get salmonella but you know it's it's for the it's for the cause so we'll do it it's like the uh volcano you made in fourth grade yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) Something, something like that. Except it'll get you perv. Yeah. <laughs> what a transition. What right. a transition. We love it. Let's let's go. Uh, All right. So first off, um Pouchon. Oh god. Word up. Mark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bamuti. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the timeline of names that I've known you as in your whole life. Yep. yep. Um Last episode, we did a we did had a whole conversation about um, names and black culture and and, mm-hmm. and everything related to that and for immigrants and yeah. that's why you I, I you heard you might have heard ca- caught me um, introduce myself as Don Elivera because I'm trying to mm-hmm. re embrace the proper pronunciation of my name. Dope. Can you tell us the significance of each of those names for you in your life that yeah. I just read off? Yeah, definitely. So Pouchon is that's. You know, when when we're together, when we're the back in the backyard, that's what all the aunties will call me. That's what the that's what my uncles will call me. All all the elders. Pouchon is like the Haitian equivalent of Junior or Pookie or you know uh, Boo Boo or Shay Shay or you know what I'm saying. It's just like one of those nicknames that I, I've never heard um, a Haitian girl called Pouchon. But I, I've run into a couple of, um, I, I've run into a couple of Haitian dudes also named Pouchon. There's like one other in my family on my on my mother's side. So Pouchon is the pet name. I'm a junior, so um, Mark is my father's name. Mark Edouard, named after him. Uh, I'm the oldest of two. My sister Joelle. Um, my grandfather, um, Michael, my uh, grandfather, um, Max, my great-grandfather, Papi Olan, 
I didn't get Max. I didn't get Olan. I didn't get Michael. I got Mark directly after my pops. And so I think uh, some of the distinction between Pouchon and Mark is just so whenever somebody was yelling for some Negro to to like show up with something, it was very clear they meant the younger Negro. So as opposed to, and then, you know, they would call my dad, his, uh, his first name, his middle name, Marquedois, Marquedois. So my my godfather, my god, exactly. That's your godfather. It's true. Oh man. We, we connected fam. So, um, so those are the significance that that's the significance of those first two names. I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I went at a time in the early 90s, in the early to mid 90s, where, um, I don't know, just being at Morehouse, being at the Atlanta University Center, you know, obviously Morehouse, Clark, Atlanta, Morris Brown, Spelman College, um, uh, you know, a, a mecca of black culture, the capital of African America. First time I really hung with people from DC, from the South, from Chicago, from Detroit, like, yeah. you know, just, just an incredible experience being, um, being dropped mm-hmm. in. Um, there was a heavy Greek life and there was also a kind of, um, African centered affinity. Um, there were, there were several African centered affinity groups, I, I would say. Um, there was one man on Clark Atlanta University's campus, uh, Dr. Daniel Omotosho Black, who is now a best-selling author, like Oprah loves him and the whole shit. Um, he uh, had done his dissertation on traditional rites of passage around the African continent. And as part of his, um, his, his uh, research, he was submitted like uh, like many African-Americans and like many African dispats, he was submitted to rites of passage in West Africa and was commissioned to take young men through the same. Um, I think we know, uh, let's say in the Jewish culture, you have a bas mitzvah, you have a bar, bar mitzvah. It's a very clear delineation of adulthood um, in certain cultures. We don't necessarily have that in our culture. So I was very attracted to a kind of formal study of self-mastery that was rooted in a series of um, uh, traditional African rituals, really uh, deeply um, orbiting five, uh, five principles, wisdom, forgiveness, spirituality, humility, and wisdom. And I um, was given the name Bamuti as part of a two-year rites of passage. Um, Bamuti means of the tree. Uh, it's an Endebele word. Endebele, the Endebele ethnic group is um, native to what is now South Africa and Zimbabwe. I actually just met, I was in Minneapolis last week and I met some cats, um, uh, Zulu and Osa cats <laughs> from South Africa. And I mm-hmm. uh, introduced myself as um, Bamuti and they were like, you know, they just looked at me, hello, like, <laughs> A word? It's like, what does your name mean? Where does it come from? And I told them and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, just kind of kikied over me. So, um, yeah, it's it's a, a, a kind of mark of adulthood. And Don, as you talk about, like, the different names that you've known me as mm-hmm. and the different ways that we've assigned names, it, it's very clear, right, that there's a kind of juvenile baby that 
was given a name. There is a family lineage that marks childhood. And then there's this um, another given name that really marks, for me, the difference between my adolescent body and my manhood body. And then there's really a fourth name, which is Makai's dad. Mm-hmm. And um, being, a, you know, being a father, that is kind of the final frontier. So <laughs> I'm renamed through my son as well. That's right. Dad, that's another name. Dad, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Um, awesome. So you mentioned um, Morehouse. I'm gonna, we're going to jump into, into, into that mm-hmm. like post immediately. But <laughs> I want to take a, a, a small step backwards. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, uh, Donald went to Regis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Andover. Okay. Uh, yep. I heard you went to Dalton. I did. It's true. And, you know, we, as young, intelligent black men, we are, we're almost marched on a path. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a certain set of expectations for us. And I, for me, one of the greatest uh, and most consistent insults that I had to, that I had to suffer was, oh, he's so eloquent, oh, right? Yeah. Um, he's so well-spoken. Um, and I, like, I would hear it, and when I was very young, I actually thought that it was a compliment. And as I got older, I started to realize what they were really saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I wanted to broach this to you because you've had success um, from, from childhood. So mm-hmm. you, you, you've been at this for a long time, bro. Mm-hmm. Um, how does it feel like spiritually at this point in your career mm. to have, you know, been able to break that stigma that we're talking about? Um, you know, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we know who we are, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but when others image us, mm. we often have to, like... I know Don and I have talked about this on the pod. We, we have to like represent the entire race sometimes every time we open uh, yeah, our mouths. For sure. Um, but taking that kind of actual, like tangible success mm-hmm. and juxtaposing it with the expectations for, you know, we'll, we'll call us the, the, the intelligent young black kid. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how have you been able to manage that? Mm. Yeah, for me, the word is articulate. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I wrote this poem once. Uh, uh, this is an African descended alphabetic assassin with an oral range. I arrange African and American oral idioms. I'm all up in them. I'm bending them. Cinnamon sweet like train blue high seas. We've left Pisces as a new age on the horizon. I represent 36 dimes. My mind inscribes ribbons in the sky that you might mistake for dog stars rising third eye and wise. And that's not all. I juggle cultures like uh, perverts juggling balls at peep shows. Eat those deconstruction of egos. I seek those who slash sound. A Negro who mass nouns is because the way I move speaks volumes. That ain't new to you, but view the weight on my shoulders is a chip that comes with thick lips, brown skin and grammar defying flips. Verbal automatic spray with infinite clips that gets clipped by my least favorite adjective quip you're so articulate (laughs) (laughs) i hate that shit flames flames uh yeah wow it's it's the um first man let me let me start off with what i enjoy 
I enjoy um, being well versed in all the codes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we are in a heteronormative, white supremacist, patriarchal society. There is a, uh, a a legacy of social pathologies. There is a canon, and you know, going to Andover, going to Dalton, going to Reg- going to Regis. Um, it, it was very, very clear that we are versed in the canon. Mm-hmm. But on the way to Andover, on the way to Regis, on the way to Dalton, we were listening to Boogie Down Productions and Tribe Called Quest and Outcasts, and right. So, so our literary continuum is both, you know, William Carlos Williams and Amiri Baraka, right, and Kendrick Lamar, and you know what I mean. Like, there's a, there's a. A, a, a way that we swim in these multiple literacies that I really actually enjoy. I love being able to talk out both sides of my neck. I love having conversation, you know, with brothers like you. I love listening to, you know, um, sports analysts like Bomani Jones or yep. Michael Smith. Like I, I, I love that kind of lane that is very unique to us. So navigating it is really finding as many like-minded folks as possible. And this is another, I have to say, great um, advantage or asset. Or, you know, it was the thing that I loved about being at the Atlanta University Center. There were a lot of cats that were in the same boat mm-hmm. and, you know, continue to, to thrive in a way that um, exists in a way that is legible to um, you know, to white culture and to white folks, there's a way that we can present ourselves. There's a way that we can express ourselves and dress and, you know, and the like, mm-hmm. but the, that poem or that snippet of the poem that I just delivered is legible both to black folks and white folks and everybody in between. And that cross literacy, that encoded cross literacy is, um, is super fun for me. So I, so I try not to get hung up on the burden. And at this point, you know, I'm nearly 50 years old. I'm going to be 47 years old in, um, in November. I'm a little too old to be stuck in the trauma. Um, at this point in my life, I'm focused on the joy and being Mm -hmm. multi-literate, multi-hyphenate, is a conduit to like play inside of the joy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I say, wow, because first off um, you were talking about your different, the different use in your life. Like mm-hmm. for me growing up with Pouchon and Mark, you uh-huh. just bamoothied on me when you dropped that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that performance. <laughs> and it's still like, it's still like wows me. So <laughs> right on, it's, it, because, because of me, like, I'm like, Oh, that's 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 Pushon doing that. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. I um, just I just remember playing ball with you in the um in the backyard, and I remember when you started to beat me. Oh, and, oh we, yeah, we I, we gonna get to that. We gonna get to that. <laughs> that that's why I just I, said my wow moment. My, my my wow moment a moment ago was like wow. Yep. I was like I was like I I was like we try. I was like this pod. This pod's gonna go for a minute because you just I have like five different questions based on everything you just said right there. All right. <laughs> 
So, but I'm glad you know. I'm glad you're ready to go there because we go get it. So, <laughs> um, so all right. I'm gonna try to do this. We're gonna try to take some of this in like we could go in like a sequential order here. Talk about okay. a little bit of your childhood. Okay. Um, because I knew you growing up, and right. I feel like there's some things about you I know that like that. Even when I looked you up, it's funny looking up someone you grew up with on mm. on the internet because I was mm. like, oh, this is what people think when they see you. I was like, mm. there's a lot. This there's, there's so your list of accomplishments that I just read off before. I thought mm. it'd be interesting to read off also because for me it was interesting. I was like, oh, damn, like it's it's crazy when people you grew up with who you, who are family. You're like, wow. I was mm. like, your resume. Is, That's a I nice knew, resume. I knew you were amazing, but I didn't. <laughs> you know, you're mm. you're my you're my cousin. So right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but that being said. Mm. What was it like being a child on Broadway and TV, yet trying to live an ordinary life on the side yeah. as a first generation Afro-Caribbean kid trying to make your way in New York yeah. culture growing up at home with that other culture and then being in the that limelight, which is a whole other culture as, of its own for a child to even experience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the second part that really illuminates the first part. So... My um, my grandparents, my my father's mother and father, my mother's mother all immigrated to the United States and then went back and got their kids, brought them over. So I'm the first person in my family born in the United States. And I think that there's something, you know, particularly in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s there was a kind of an emergent definition of um, blackness. Like when I was born, we were just three or four years at a Negro. We were starting Mm -hmm. maybe to be Afro-American. We were not yet African-American and we had not reclaimed black. So there were archetypes of Americanness that weren't fully kind of crystallized yet um, in terms of a black consciousness. So the music that I grew up listening to, for instance, in the household, like other people grew up, you know, a lot of my contemporaries grew up listening to Frankie Beverly and Maids. They grew up listening to Al Green. They grew up listening to, you know, that wasn't the music that was playing in my house. The music that was playing in my house was compa music. It was soca music. It was, you know, tabu combo. It was, you know, that that was the music that that was in my house. So being on television, um, doing commercials, being able to like record those commercials on VHS and send those tapes back to Haiti, that was a way, I think, for my parents and for my family to kind of situate ourselves in the United States and kind of define ourselves as American to the rest of the family. Wasn't something that I was like hyper-conscious of when I was growing up, but over time I was like, oh yeah, this is a signifier. And, you know, it was the signification of, you know, me representing a a toothpaste company or a, you know, or a software company or frigging Cabbage Patch Kids or or whatever the hell. Um, or you being know, on Johnny, you were on Johnny Carson. I was, right? I was, I was on Johnny Carson. I was on David Letterman, all sorts of random shit. So all that was part of the upbringing. Um, I remember I did this commercial. I was in first grade. I did this commercial and it appeared on the Super Bowl. 
And I remember getting on the bus that Monday morning and everybody wanted to sit next to me. (laughs) It was so strange, you know? So from an early age, you know, Jericho, you talk about like uh, essentially navigating the, the, the line between self and other or between kind of mainstream and other. I was othered in a very peculiar way from the time I was like six years old, by, mm. both by my family and also by um, by my peers. Um, when I was nine years old, I was in fourth grade. I auditioned for the show called The Tap Dance Kid. It was on Broadway. This man, this young man, Savion Glover, was um, th- the main dude. And, you know, I-, I-, I trained to be his understudy. I didn't learn really about tap dance from Savion. I learned about rap <laughs> from Savion. <laughs> like, oh. I-, I learned, you know, the first time that I really listened to Rakim was with Savion. The first time I really listened to Boogie Down Productions, I was with Savion. He was a cool dude, by the way. I remember he was cool. He was also like me because, (laughs) you know, I was like 10 and he was 12. Can you imagine being 12 and hanging? You know, he was like 12 and a half, you know, (laughs) the the reason I say he was cool, because all y'all were older, older than me. I was one of them little tag along kids that all y'all were like the you you guys were on Broadway and stuff. He was of all of the friends of that crew of all y'all that were on Broadway Mm -hmm. when I was a little kid. He remembered me. He remembered my name and he would remember me years later when I ran into him. Wow. Wow. And that's kind of to me a sign of someone that like I'm like beyond anything else, just like having the respect to like actually someone who like you, you don't need to remember that you actually showed them that you remember them. Like that's how that's the sentiment he left me with. So shout out to Savion, wherever. Yeah. Shout out to Savion, bro. And, you know, he's doing it big and invest big in Newark, deep, deeply cares about his, you know, his community and, um, you know, it was a beautiful relationship that I observed him and his brothers, him and his uh, and his mom. Um, but, you know, these are the lessons that you're learning metacognitively. You know what I mean? Like there's there's no one to pop up and be like message. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're just you're just kind of noticing. You're just having your life. You're nine, you're 10, you're 11 years old. You're having your life. And then later on, you kind of look back like, oh, that was a growth point. Oh, that was an inflection point. Oh, that was a conflict that I need to, you know, talk to my therapist about now. Oh, that's a pitfall that I need to, um, you know, take my son and make sure that he gets diverted from there. All these lessons that the, the gift of maturity and the gift of aging gives us. But, um, yeah, I I wouldn't trade any of that time period, uh, Mm -hmm. for anything. It was, it was dope. Um, it was also, how I learned truly that I was black Mm. because especially, you know, when I was doing commercials in the early eighties, they, they wanted to make sure that there was like a black kid in the commercial. Right. So very often (laughs) I was the black kid in the commercial and you you know, but I was a kid, you know what I'm saying? So like um, kids would want to play and I would want to play with them. And my mom would be like, yeah, um, you, you can't be as loud. I know that they're running, but you can't run with them. And, you know, a third way of othering, like, oh, got it. Like, I get seen. And, you know, 30, 40 years later, it's still that way. Isn't that crazy? Wild Shit business. still that way. <laughs> That's wild business, man. You got to love it. All right. So. You lead the Social Impact Initiatives Program at the Kennedy Center in D.C., right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So can you tell us what that 
actually means. What the fuck is that? <laughs> and uh, and also and also, um, I was reading about the cartography project. Word in relation yeah. to your work down there. So can you can you kind of fill tell the people about about that as well? Because before these drinks get in us, we need to uh, we need to talk about <laughs> professional stuff. Word, cool. So uh, the Kennedy Center is the National Cultural Center, named after the 35th president. It's 50 years old, established in 1971. Kennedy talked a lot about the arts and a lot about the relationship between the arts and public life. Obviously, he was an inspirational dude. Um, among his more famous speeches is what's um, collect, co- conventionally known as the moonshot speech, where he petitioned America to assemble the resources to go to the moon. This is... 1961, 1962, we, we, you know, if, if you've seen, uh, hidden figures, you you know, there actually was the math did not yet exist (laughs) to, to go to the moon. Um, there were rocket scientists, but we couldn't get there yet. And he was that kind of president, the, the, the kind of president that I wish we had now, to be honest, you you know, someone Mm. that kind of directed us towards the impossible collectively as opposed to, you know, the very, very small things that we bicker about. So there's this cultural center. It's named after Kennedy. It's in Washington, D.C. And I say all those things about Kennedy, the person, uh, you know, we, we could talk about some of the darker sides of his uh, personality and character. Shout out to Marilyn Monroe. But <laughs> the uh, as a as a general figure, well-beloved and deeply inspirational person who was on the precipice of all this civil rights legislation before he was assassinated. And we could probably argue that this is why he was assassinated as so many great people were um, in the 1960s. So the Kennedy Center has an obligation not only to present the world's greatest art, which it does. It's um, There are more than 2,000 performances a year that happen uh, at the Kennedy Center. This is a Pre-pandemic, this was a cultural center of that had a $250 million budget annually. It still um, hovers around $200 million. And for context, that's more money than is in the federal budget of the National Endowment for the Arts. Um, mm. It is um, about the size of Lincoln Center um, in New York uh, in terms of capacity and production. But it can't just do jazz which it does or hip hop, which it does or theater, or, you know, it can't just be a host to the national symphony opera, uh, national mm-hmm. symphony orchestra or the Washington national opera. There's also a, a mandate um, because it is named after Kennedy to have a relationship between um, artistic production and the social contract. What, what I call using the arts for non arts outcomes, mm-hmm. but somebody has to, draft that somebody has to be the architect um, for the social architecture that aligns all the arts um, that we present um, with community enterprises, with incubation services for um, various artists of all sorts for um, recognizing historically stigmatized and historically marginalized um, communities and making sure that there is an investment in the local creative economy as well as um, artists and contemporaries from all over the country. And that is my job. Um, my job is to um, create, um, you know, what I call the creative ecosystem mm-hmm. within the Kennedy Center and make sure that there is investment flowing to um, 
folks that aren't singing opera and folks that aren't playing um, the cello or the bassoon. But that said, um, I also have uh, a relationship to the National Symphony Orchestra (laughs) and the Washington National Opera. And these are forms, you know, given that they go back two, three, four hundred years. These are forms that, you know, whose central canon, Jericho, we were talking about, you know, the canon earlier. Their central canon essentially is a, a kind of like soundtrack for white supremacy and imperialism Mm. you know Mm. if you think about Bach if you think about Mozart if you think about you know Verdi if you think about Beethoven and when they were creating these works these were these were the musical works of the court Um, which is to say that these were the works that were created to appease not only the aristocracy but also the highfalutin motherfuckers that invaded um, native lands here on this side of this planet, you know, the entire. So like, this is the music that like, just like we were listening to rap music on our way to school. Right. Like, this was the music that was bumping while they were invading the planet. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, right. checkered history, right. Checkered past. So um, how to reconcile that and how to take a form, which is deeply rooted in the past into the future and do it um, within uh, the changing demographics of the country. So um, I designed this program called the Cartography Program, which is essentially a map of black dignity um, across the United States. And what we did was we said, okay, Tamir Rice was killed in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, uh, Breonna Taylor was killed in Louisville. Uh, Nia Wilson in Oakland, Freddie Gray in Baltimore. Who is the composer? Who's the young black composer from Baltimore? Who is the young black composer from Atlanta where Rayshard Brooks was killed? Um, From Minneapolis where George Floyd, Philando Castile. Let's take these iconic transgressions against black dignity And let's have the National Symphony Orchestra and the Washington National Opera commission composers from those places to create chamber works inspired by the idea of black dignity. Mm. So, um, Mark, I got to I got to I got to pause you momentarily because I want you to help us out a little bit. Please tell our listeners, many of whom have no idea what the concept of black dignity is. Yeah. And. uh in fact, Don and I have a segment that we that we do on the show called Dirty Words. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That might be a little bit of a dirty word for some people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially given the, the the level of divisiveness that, that pervades uh, no, normal discourse these days. Yeah. So just d- define black dignity for mm. us. And, the, and then and then I, I, I want to let you keep going. I mean, I could probably define it while moving forward, you know, just to say for for some reason or another, we have a national debate about the merit and the matter of black life. So, okay, black lives matter, all lives matter. I'm not an all lives matter dude. I'm a black lives matter dude because I understand what we're trying to say. Mm -hmm. Like the matter of black, you know, black lives matter isn't about the matter of my life. It's about the matter of the law in respect to 
the ending of my life. Right. It, it, the, the, the movement for black lives is not saying that all lives don't matter. It, 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 is, it, it is in reference to justice. So I said, all right, um, maybe my life doesn't matter. Can I have dignity? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like dignity as a concept is an under-resourced, under-nurtured idea and practice in American consciousness. Who do we afford dignity to? How does someone, um, what, is, what is the basic tenet of a human being? What do we all have a right to? Do we all have a right to water? Do we all have a right to clean air? Do we all have a right to music? I, I'd like to think that we all have a right to dignity. Mm-hmm. Basic. So let's not use the lexicon of, of the, the contentious, for some reason, the contentious lexicon of black life. Let's talk about black dignity. That shouldn't be up for debate. Shouldn't be. <laughs> shouldn't and, be. And so, and so instead of saying... Um, yeah, you know, we're we're going to go to these, you know, to be like crass about it. We're going to go to these Black Lives Matter, you know, Black Lives Matter hotspots. We're going to say, let's talk about transgressions against black dignity. Mm. Because Tamir Rice deserved the dignity of a life. He deserved he deserved the dignity of a childhood. Breonna Taylor deserved the dignity of her sleep. Right. Nia Wilson deserved the dignity of her um, commute. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Philando right. Castile deserved the dignity of um, of being a father, and and, and deserved the the. I won't even talk about his Second Amendment rights of just just the dignity of like not being killed in front of his four year old daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about these transgressions against black dignity. And rather than staying in this space of trauma, let's find these young creatives and um, make something that literally musically vibrates above that. Okay. Um, and let's create a pipeline for these artists. Let's create a docuseries around it. And every year let's add more cities to the map so that there's, you know, just like there's a relationship between classical music and Austria <laughs> you know, right. classical music in Italy. Let's have um, a, a relationship between classical music and Detroit and New Orleans and Houston and Seattle and New York and all these other cities. And, and let's, um, as you know, Don, we were talking about this word pedagogies. Let's as, as a pedagogical center, as our theory of change, as our understanding of how social transformation takes place, let's center black dignity in classical music mm-hmm. <laughs> and create a, create a pipeline for young black composers and librettas. So, so that's the cartography project. That's my gig at the Kennedy Center. Yeah. Excellent. Your, Excellent. Your, your choice of classical music in that isn't lost on me either because uh, of, that is not a, uh, that's not the obvious choice, but it's, it makes so much sense. It's what we were talking about earlier, right? Like when you know all the codes. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like I'm wearing this, you know, sign of the time shirt. Prince played all the instruments. That's right. All of them, all of them. And and the, and the (laughs) truth is that's what we're gifted with. 
the, the three of us and our peers and our contemporaries. We, we, we can talk a lot of shit in a lot of different languages, sometimes without even opening our mouths. And so that's the clown. Like, yeah, let's not, let's not um, have this be a program of jazz. Let's have this be a program of opera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. dope. That's Don't dope. tell my bosses, man, but we clouded. We clouded. <laughs> and so far it's been, you know, it's been really, really dope. You know oh, what I love cool. about that personally? I um, I mean, I think you might know this from when we were young. You might not even you, you might not even know this. You know, I'm a classically trained pianist. I took piano I lessons do know for, for ten years. But like, mm-hmm. it's something that like, as a kid, I and I went to because of you and mm-hmm. your amazing dance skills. The rest of the family, you and my sister, being so goddamn good at dance, I had to go to dance school, <laughs> professional dance school, because y'all. You know, and I I hid those two things from from all mm-hmm. my friends growing up because it wasn't cool. It wasn't cool to be the kid who could play the black kid who could play classical music. Right. It wasn't cool to be the black kid that could dance ballet. Right. Um, but right, you right. you are are literally you made it cool for me as when I was younger to be like, all right, but he's cool. And he does that. And you are now, you know how wild that is for me to see the dude who made that cool for me, making that cool for all of America, not just America, all of the world. Like you literally, I was like, Oh, okay. He wasn't, he was, I wasn't just crazy watching this dude, like being like, Oh, I was like, Oh, okay. All the rest of society is like, yeah, that's that dude who's making that cool. So thank it's a you. Tr- it's a trip, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a trip. It's, you know, I, I feel like it's been a running theme and it, you know, it, it has a lot to do with, how long we, we, you know, we've known each other all our lives. I, I, I don't know my life without you, you know, yeah, so, so it's a trip. It's like, yeah, every single thing, every single memory was a lesson as it turns out yeah. every, every single, <laughs> every single aspect The you know, He-Man and Nintendo and like just all the things <laughs> that all the things that we did, uh, yep. you know, like that's, part of our subconscious it's part of our conscious it's part of our bodies and as it turns out um it, it all is monetizable i learned i learned also learned from you a voice can be monetized yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna drink to that everybody, everybody pick that cheers, up. Cheers, boom, boom, cheers 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 <laughs> and um speaking of that Mm-hmm. Um, we could go all day on all this serious stuff. So, like, honestly, I'm a, I'm gonna throw it out there. Hopefully, it happens. Like, we're probably gonna have to have you be the first repeat guest on the Beat Orange podcast. Because, oh, like, because yeah. at some point down the road, especially when you have, I know you got some programs that are supposed to kick off um, yeah. later in this year. That'll yeah. be dope to talk about. And, yeah. um, and, um, I know you know my boy Sean Leonardo, who's follow, who's also uh, been yeah. in some similar circles as you, and yeah, um, yeah. and I want to do uh, I want to do a series with with the two of you as a boy. So oh, that would be. So I was gonna say, can we get, we can get them both on? Yeah. yeah. So I I don't know how I just recently found out that t- the two of you know each other. He's another very um very very um I just call you artists that people should know in modern society. We'll put it that Word way. Up. Word um, up. but Thank anyway, that being mm-hmm. said. I feel like I don't know if you raise your glass again. Where you at in that thing? No, I'm, 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 I'm here. Yeah, I thought so. Okay, we at the witching hour. We're about at okay. the witching hour. <laughs> cheers, so, cheers, here you go. so this is the point where, so you know, before these shows, like I said, JT and I, we don't talk. I scribble notes that come off out of my thoughts that come out of my brain under for whatever reason throughout the week, and uh-huh. then and then 
we coherently and turn into a podcast. Uh-huh. I got a bunch of notes. We're going to skip past all of that right now. Oh, we're going we're gonna to work right. We're going right to the witching hour notes. Oh, <laughs> all right. All right. You ready? <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. All Here right. we go. Um, this question comes from your godmother, <laughs> a.k.a. my mom. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so literally when i say like we're not related but we're related like so yeah. the two biggest holidays growing up were christmas and thanksgiving and every year for our life growing up uh, in our childhood christmas at your crib thanksgiving at my crib right yeah yep, all right yeah my mom wants to know what's your happiest or funniest memory from our holiday celebrations growing up wow okay so 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 it's it's a little it's just a little messed up because of how um this man has behaved but the truth you know thanksgiving mm, thursday night i know i know it i know it yeah go ahead and thanksgiving football so coming into your house oh, there's so many but in my mind there's just a composite Coming into your house, the Cowboys are on upstairs, mm. and you know, I, I, I hate the Cowboys, but whatever. The, you know, they played the late game on Thanksgiving. I have memories of being at the kid table, and I have a memory of the first time I got to be at the big person table. <laughs> <laughs> Hella dope. Hella yeah. dope. You were, you were I, looking down on the rest of us, too. Oh, yeah. You peasant. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A little peach fuzz maybe going on. You know, really, it's just because we probably invited too many people and there just wasn't room, you know, at, at a point. Um, but um, I remember all us kids watching the Cosby show afterwards. Mm. And it, it was like. Oh man, it was maybe as American as we were going to get. <laughs> Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. It was like, man, it's dag. It like makes me emotional because it was all of us. And we had lots of like, you know, your house was the party house. My house, your house was the, but your house, your was the house, house was I always the party. wanted well, to be at. Oh, see, well, that's how, that's how we know. But your house was the party house. You know what I'm saying? We, we would do, Jericho, we would do these home and home joints where like, uh, Don and the sister would like come over on a Friday night and then we, you know, we'd rock it to the afternoon and then his mom would come to pick us up and then we just look at mom like, you know, so like Friday nights would be at my house and then Saturday nights would be. Like we were tight, tight, tight like that. Yeah. Yeah. Your house always had mad juice. Your your parents always stocked the juice. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that, but I I went I went over to your house with my mindset was like, oh, I'm getting at the juice. <laughs> yeah, because I think my mom was the first one to discover like BJ's before there was Sam's Club, before there was Costco, there was BJ's. That was the first you know you could get the shit in bulk. They, they, they cut me bulk. off from the juice in our fridge at my house. <laughs> <laughs> juice and intimates i'm saying yeah all the all the stuff that was at my house that wasn't at your house that's why we loved going to you know besides each other in the company it's like man going to the to the other house and it was right yeah. down the road it was like you know we lived yeah. a mile away from each other oh that's cool that's you know cool. yeah in yeah. in later years we would walk and we would bike to one another's you know yeah 
um, you know, yeah. cribs once we once we got old enough. But yeah, like when I say your house was the party house, I remember going to your house. I remember like a sense of jubilation. You know, mm-hmm. your your dad is so like charismatic and such a great host and <laughs> you know what i'm saying just like all wow. the people's and the sound of his laughter i you know i i remember that and uh yeah like but but all us kids no matter what it was we could agree on the cosby show yeah and there was something about that and there was something about like um all those uh man there, there, there's something about those memories and then there's a story that your mom tells about Christmas at my house mm-hmm. when my mom was pregnant with my sister. Mm-hmm. And we actually had Christmas at the crib, but we had so much food that um, everybody came back two nights later. Cause we were like, yo, we can't eat all this. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, need, we need help. <laughs> well, I always hopped on my bike and came back. So, it didn't yeah. <laughs> but, so. This, but this is, you know, this is 1980. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, you were like, yeah, you, yeah, were, when you, I was were barely, you were barely yeah, yeah. walking. So we needed help. So we, you know, we invited people over two days later. Like, could you, somebody, could you please? <laughs> and, um, your mom t- tells the story of my mom wincing all through dinner. Hmm. And she gave birth to my sister that night. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's not a memory that I have, but I have a, I have a memory of your mom telling that story. Shout out to Jelly. Yeah. Shout out to Jelly. Shout out to, uh, to Juju. So, yeah. So, so Cosby show and wincing pregnant women. Those are my memories. All right. Let's see. I'm going to take it slightly more rapid fire now. Let's, let's, let's see. Yeah. Oh, JT, you got one? Yeah. No, I I was, it was a question I, I, I really just wanted to get from, from a great mind. Right. With a few drinks. So when we think about our our current political system as it is constructed, right. If we could change one thing. What would what what would you want to change? I would honestly, honestly, I would want a federal bureau of inspiration that had a budget. Um half the size of the defense budget hmm. federal bureau of inspiration federal bureau of inspiration there you, you know there's housing there's transportation there's like homeland there all there are all these things there's you know the secretary of treasury there's the secretary of state there's there's all these things there's there is no active major body to make sure that we're all inspired Mm. I like and, that. Yeah. And and if there uh, wasn't like a two party system, like the two party system and the, the you know, I, I, I'd love to put 16 people on the Supreme Court and like they're all, you know, they're all these things. But I think the thing that would really get it done is if somebody was in charge of making sure that we were all happy. <laughs> that, nice. is a, that is I've 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 pondered that thought myself. And damn, that is wow. I'm glad yeah, we got your nice, answer on man. that one. That's give me not, the keys. Give me the keys. Gonna... <laughs> nice. Listen, if, if we end up with a President Buddha judge, you might get one of those. Uh, we might, man. He's, you know, <laughs> uh, him and uh, AOC, like I just, I, I think that they're all these out of the box thinkers and hmm. it's, it's really what we need right now because yeah. this yeah. ain't it. 
<laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, this ain't it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. All right. I want to be conscientious of your of your time that you've given us here. So just a few more questions before we wrap this up. I got I got to get to some that were we got some more family questions. Okay. Um, juice, man. All right. Give me the juice, man. Give me the tea. My older sister, Natalie, who y'all were yes. closer in age. So y'all actually spent a lot of time together. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Um, she says, have you ever had a griot egg roll? Because that shit is delicious. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've never had one. She wants to know if you had one. I've never had one. But what that reminds me of was this spot out on Long Island called Nagasaki's. That was a Jamaican Chinese restaurant. Did mm. we did we ever go to that? I don't know. I used, I used to date this Jamaican sister, man. She took me there. Uh Yummy times too. I'm telling you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jamaican food. We just had on last episode. We talked about my. I took a trip to Jamaica recently. Resort food, and eh, but Jamaica, <laughs> Jamaica, Jamaica. They know what they're doing, man. They know what they're doing. Listen, Mamuti, when you come up to New York, I, I got you on the on the grill egg roll. It's a spot. In the this city. man, he's the only non-Haitian on this on this pod right now, and he's had it already. <laughs> what? I got y'all. Trust me. Yeah, listen, man. I'll be there. Uh, I'm coming up next week. <laughs> I'm gonna hit you up. <laughs> Because that is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. It's delicious. It's really All right. Good. All right. I got an Amy question. This is my little sister. Okay. Who, she was the baby of the month. Like, she's kind of, she was like kind of left out of that, like all of us for a period of time. But a little bit. She was a but, little duckling, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Amy says, now that you're in DC from time to time, have you had mambo sauce yet? Oh, yeah, for sure. These Can you tell us about Amy? Amy and Natalie tried to take my black card for not knowing mambo sauce yeah and i'm like yo like I, how like I, how am i supposed to know mom about the mambos what Listen, is mambo sauce i, I don't know it's it's like you know what i am not gonna get in trouble i was about to disparage <laughs> mambo sauce but i gotta live here so i am not um mambo sauce is like um it's a DC delicacy. That's all I can. That's all I can say. <laughs> all right, all right. So it's, it's on a regional. Fries. It's like Larry. It's super regional, but it's like Larry's. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you just put it on everything. Like you, you from DC. You just put it on everything. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Now we're in gentrified DC. You could probably get like Chipotle mambo, mambo sauce and the you know and the the whole nine. But they swear by it here okay. in DC. I have had it. I've had like five different variations. It's a little like um. The cheesesteak in Philly, except people outside of Philly eat cheesesteaks. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but if you're in Philly, you're like, no, man, you got to go to No, you got to go to Geno's. No, you got to. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're, they're real about the sauce here in D.C. All right, so I've never had this mambo sauce. I didn't hear about it, but I've, I've, I've done my little bit of research. And yes. I won't, you don't want to disparage it. Fair enough. Am yes. I correct in my understanding that it is basically ketchup, hot sauce, and sweet sour sauce together? It is disgusting. <laughs> let's just cut to the chase. Shout out to the DMV, 301, 202, all of y'all. It is disgusting. <laughs> let's, let's just keep it all real. Motherfucker, just catch, just do the ke- just do ketchup. It's just I, I would on. Fizzle, use Peakley's. Use Peakley's. <laughs> just use Peakley's. amazing. Mama sauce. No, man. Yeah. Just use ketchup. Just... You heard it here first. Peakley's is amazing, folks. It is. That's, that's, my, I mean, that's my full, like, Haitian adjacent card. I put he, I Peakley's yeah. on anything. 
I gotta say, I, I gotta send you a sample of my. I got. I started a Peakley's business, but I'll tell. I'll tell you about that another time. Word, word, word. word. <laughs> um. All right, you got time for two more questions? Yeah, let's go. All right, all right. Here's. I'm gonna hit you with the. Uh, all right, this first one. All right, so this one, <laughs> this one very is is. I think this is this hits home for every one of us on this spot. So we are all basketball people, and yeah, for for anybody who knows me personally knows as JT knows like basketball and me. Yeah, like pickup ball, like that's like a central part of what people will tell you of about me when I was younger. Yes. And what people need to understand is you introduced me to basketball, not just watching the NBA. You took me to the park and taught me the etiquette around pickup hoops. That mm-hmm. joint in Elmont we used to go to. We used to get the um, we used to get the like <laughs> half gallon fruit punch joints to hydrate and they go back like i was a little kid like i don't even understand looking back i'm like i'm like why i don't know if your (laughs) your parents told you you had to take me or why you were kind enough to take me the little i hadn't had i hadn't hit puberty yet yeah probably just because i could beat you (laughs) (laughs) come here yeah until until i hit that growth spurt Uh, until you hit that growth spurt (laughs) um but anyway, <laughs> I've noticed something. I've noticed something. You you traveled all over. You spent a lot of time on the West Coast. You spent a lot of time yeah. on the East Coast. Um, yeah. Growing up, you were a, you were a Bulls fan. I was. Through. I was. I was looking at your Instagram. Yeah. There's a lot of shout outs to uh, the Warriors. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so, we got, I got, so we got a question for you about this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 96 Bulls versus... 2017 Warriors because Draymond brought this up recently best of seven what exactly is going to happen 2017 Warriors and I'm listen I told told you what he was going to say listen (laughs) I didn't think he was going to say that I didn't think he was going to say that listen the most fun the like you know we're, we're talking about like icons the 96 Bulls the most iconic team ever yeah but the problem is Three is more than two. That's it's the just, problem. With it's all, just that's, math. That's it's just, just math. That's just the problem. You, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Draymond, Rodman, I think they cancel each other out mm-hmm. uh, effectively, although Draymond is actually more of an offensive threat. I would, you know, <laughs> I love what uh, Kevin Durant said the other day. Kevin Durant said, uh, I don't know who would win, but Steve Kerr, the coach, would put Steve Kerr, the player, in pick and roll, I love that. And and the truth is, you could put you know, you could put Scotty on. Let's say you put Scotty on Steph and just you know try to smother him. I don't think right. as athletic as Scotty was, as long as Scotty was, people just sleep on Steph's handles. And what about Ron quickness. Harper? You're not going to put Ron. I think you don't think Ron Harper can can take. You, Steph? you could put you put Ron Harper. Um, would have I to think guard Clay. I think you would put Ron Harper on Clay, and I think you put mm. Jordan on KD, and I think and honestly, Pippen's going think, Steph the whole way. Okay, say what? Yeah, I said you got Pippen going going with, with Steph the whole way. I think I mean if I'm That's if probably I'm smart. Phil, if I'm Phil Jackson, I think I put Pippen on Steph and yeah. try to smother him length length on Steph. Yeah, and you yeah. know what I love about both teams, and you know Steve Kerr, you know picked this up. I'm, I'm sure from Tex Winter and and, and uh, from Phil Jackson the the motion offense. Similar, you know, the triangle offense, the motion offense, all that off the ball movement, super, super dope. But Steph got range and KD got range from 30. Jordan's hitting that mid range. Uh, Jordan's hitting that 
that crazy, ridiculous turnaround jumper from the post. But mm-hmm. he used to hit that turnaround jumper from like 19 feet. Thank you. Like 20 feet. <laughs> yes. And that's my, just three is more than three two. Three is more dog. than two. <laughs> as, so, uh, yeah. As much yeah. as I want to disagree, but first of all, I want to disagree with the dude who's the dude who made me a Bulls fan in the first place right now. So this is a trip. <laughs> I'm like questioning my whole Jordan collection. I got like a, I have a, I have a loft full of Air Jordans right now yeah. that you make me question. Yeah. But I got, but I got to say, and all I'm also, you're also the dude that introduced me to video games as a kid. And I'm still a little bit of a gamer, okay. you know, as, as much of an old man to be a gamer, not uh-huh, be a gamer, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. But like, but I still, I'm still good at 2K. And I'll tell you this, the, that, that 17, that, that 96 Bulls team cannot beat that 17, uh, 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 squad in video game no can't do it can't do it can't do it <laughs> no i've tried i've tried no. can't do yeah. it yeah when you when you got a guy pulling up from the from the logo yeah 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 it's a problem <laughs> like those dudes weren't even used to guarding that far out yeah there's a problem so he would exactly. get so many open shots just because they're not used to going all the way out there to guard yeah, people like, talk about that all the time. Like people talk about, like, oh, the '90s. You, are we are we playing '90s rules or or, or it, it, the '90s basketball was you know Patrick Ewing, it was David Robinson, it was like it all the movement was going towards the basket. This era, everything is going away from the basket. You didn't have the term three and D in the '90s. That's what you need now, and you just didn't have those dudes. So like. Who is Anthony Mason going to guard now? Oh. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? I love me some Mason, though. Love me me too. Mason. Me too. But like, but you know what? But, if Mason grew up in this era, he would have been a three-point shooter. He would have never bulked up to the size. He was skinny and, yeah, and yeah, lengthy he when he was young. Yeah. 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 So. All right. All right. All right. All right. Final question. Good question. Final question. Good question. Final question. Because we, we, we could be here all, we could be here all night, yeah. but I had to get yeah. you on that one. All right. Here's the last question. Because so here... At the beat on podcast, we got a little, uh, we got like a little, uh, thing where we, we like to do like, uh, apocalyptic planning and, or <laughs> we like to envision either apocalyptic futures or like post apocalyptic futures where like new, we're part of the new government order that gets to take over. Right. <laughs> yeah. So as you, as someone I've seen on your Instagram, I believe you describe yourself as someone who makes culture. Yes. Am I correct? That is correct. Yeah. So it's fair to, to define you that way. Yep. So. Um, the apocalypse is over. We've established a new government mm-hmm. and we have nominated you as, um, the head of international Afro-Caribbean culture. Okay. <clears throat> All the, right. To, for the, for the U S cause that's going to be a whole important part of this new U S right. I'm there. All right. All right. Method acting. I'm here. I'm here. Your first agenda is to introduce all of America to Haitian food. Oh, <sighs> Can you see my shirt here, by the way? Can you see my shirt? Yeah. Manger Griot. Manger Griot, danse compas. Parler Griot, Reme Haiti. I love that shirt. Yeah. Nat- that. Natalie got that. me that shirt. I love um, it. So, so, in any case, so let's say next week, let's say Friday night, when people who, when our real fans who like to listen to this podcast, right, when it comes out on Friday, they listen to this, and you get to plan the Haitian meal that everybody yep. gets to eat. It's a three-course meal that is going to introduce all of our B-Dorm listeners and the rest of society to Haitian culture through food, mm. which is which is not the way you usually int- bring culture. You do it through performance art, but now yeah, you're going to yeah. do it through food. What dishes are you serving to, serving to show everybody how Haitians get down? 
Oh man, amazing question. Uh, I am assuming that my father's mother is cooking. Okay, I, I'm I'm assuming that it is either my father's mother or my mother. And she just pro- cel- she just celebrated a big birthday, didn't she? She did. She just turned ninety five. Yeah, I thought so. So, um, okay. Ooh, off top. Okay, so oh man, so good. Okay, so the way that Haitians eat, mm. we. We we don't like really do appetizers, <laughs> <laughs> and we take the the rice comes last. Like you kind of have like the you know you have like yeah. the the protein and some you know some some plantain some fried plantain you kind of like that mm. happens and then you have some version of rice. Oh mm. man! And okay. That that's gonna be a whole. Uh, I want to know what rice you choose, but we'll get to that. Yeah, that that's that's a whole thing. But <laughs> but I'm not gonna do it like that. Oh, okay. So the way that I'm gonna do it is, the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna have soup jumo because mm-hmm. you have to. Shout out here's here's the fist. So that you know that's like, you know, African Americans have collard greens on New Year's Day soup jumo, and it's the real thing. It's like you know it's it's a essentially a pumpkin soup but it's kind of every single thing in the soup <laughs> yeah and, and it's delicious so soup jumo my my grandmother my mummy grandma's lumbi oh tell people tell people what lumbi actually is okay lumbi is is like conch fish it's it's conch but it's stewed in like tomatoes and onions and um, maybe just a little garlic, you know, a, a little pepper, and man, you got to put that pickles. You you have to have the pickles mm. with it. But jonjon rice, mmm, jonjon, mm. okay, yeah. Tell with the people lumbi. what. Yeah, tell the people what jonjon like is. Like they don't know black, that it's like a black rice with pigeon peas. It's um, it's. <laughs> Man, okay. I'm salivating. Listen, that's my this favorite. Is that's my favorite rice, actually. Um, All right, so so we yeah. got to do soup jumo. We have to we have to have um, lumbi with uh, with jonjon rice and macaroni and cheese, the way that we make it, which is oh, just, which is not very cheesy, <laughs> which is not very cheesy, but again, delicious. And then we're not having dessert. We're we're sipping cremas. Oh, afterwards. Tell people what cremas is. Cremas is like this cream. It's like Bailey's, but Haitian and way, way better. It's like like Bailey's. It's like it's it's like hooch. It's like it's like if Bailey's was hooch. It's like if Bailey's was like um, bootleg moonshine made by an old Haitian woman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so Bruh. all right mark Bamuthi, joseph yes my god brother my god my brother. fam my um, family for real though. before we peace out i just wanted to know was i so was, was i correct in my statement earlier that you didn't actually know the significant role you played in my life growing up as a kid did you know did you not know i i didn't know i, I didn't i didn't know like that You know, I will say that you and Amy and Natalie, your mom, your dad, your cousins even um, played a tremendous role in in my life. Um, 
all my best memories really, you know, in, involve y'all, especially like eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, you know, 12, 13 years. Like we, you know, we, we know each other, man. Like, mm-hmm. so, um, I, I, I remember like there was a dynamic because you and my sister are close in age. Me and your sister are, are close in age and just kind of learning how to be a big brother and to be a big brother to not to a not sister <laughs> you, you, you know yeah. what i mean yeah. like so i you know i'm honored man i'm i'm humbled I, I i love the way that you you know that you put it earlier it's it's deeply humbling it you know it's an articulation of um of, of the kind of love that you can only have you know with somebody that you've known all you know all your life and you know, I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to chop it up in public like this. Yeah, it's, right. You know, it's 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 super dope. So, and, you know, thanks for the vulnerability, for the transparency and for your inspiration, man. For real. No doubt. No doubt, brother. And that's it's funny the way you put it, because the, the reason I actually asked that is in planning for us to do this. The funny thing that happened to me is it, it, it got my wheel spinning. And I said to myself, why don't we make more of an effort, especially as black yeah. men? Because we're like so... Um, society kind of makes us feel like this, like we got to put these walls around us and we got to put these walls around us between each other to be tough. It's like only mm-hmm. in recent years that even Justin and I have taken down some of those barriers of like, you know, having to be, you know, hard and tough and cool with each other. But mm-hmm. like, we don't, we don't ever take the time. And, and I don't want to just, we got, we have a very wide, diverse audience on our podcast. So I don't mm-hmm. want to, for our listeners, I'm not, I don't want to make this just only about black men in this one thing. I know we spent a lot of time talking about yeah. this black, uh-huh. black people stuff, but just as people, why don't we tell the people in our lives that actually inspire us how they've positively, positively impact, uh, impacted our lives? Well, people mm. will jump through hoops to go chase the down the, the idol that they idolize a famous person who mm. they who that person, that person doesn't know them. That person doesn't appreciate them, appreciate them the way the cousin, the brother, the uncle or just that or just homie around the block that took you under their wing yeah. to help to help raise you as a kid from wherever you're from. So yeah. um, I just want if there's anything that this episode of our pod leaves our listeners with here today i hope that they feel inspired to reach out to whoever mm-hmm. whoever was there you know if it was your i don't want to idol i don't know if that's the right word your inspiration your mentor like mm-hmm. your big brother if you didn't have a brother i have a sister older sister who i love dearly but just the same way you said you had a little sister you know mm-hmm. there's something about having a big brother if you don't have a big brother someone to serve that role for me and you were that for me so i hope that people feel inspired to reach out to whoever that was for them in their life and just let them know what they meant to you people. So until we get that federal department of inspiration. Exactly. (laughs) That'll, and I bet that'll be on their agenda, right? It'll be on their their agenda. agenda. Yeah. Hug, hug somebody today. Hug somebody that you love. (laughs) Tell, tell somebody that you love, that you love them, you know, instead of just thinking about it. Thank you, man. That's, that's wisdom right there. Thank you. And with that, that's been another episode of the beat on podcast. We'll catch you next time. All right. Peace. Hey, beat on listeners probably heard me mention in passing that I do professional voiceover work. Well, some of that 
includes audiobooks that you can download off of Audible. So check this out. We know you love to listen. And for a limited time only, we've got a great special offer for our dedicated listeners. We're happy to be able to offer you up to two free books when you try Audible Premium Plus. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, to Dolly Parton and James Patterson's Run, Rose, Run. There's something for everyone, and they're the perfect companion for your weekend run or your summer road trip. You can listen to thousands of great times, as many as you want, whenever you want. Stream or download to listen offline. Click the link in the show notes and get started today. Powered by Righteous Media.